Well, I didn't win again this year. And you didn't win either, Tim. I should have mentioned this before the program began because uh, to drop something on on you like this at the beginning of a, of a podcast, I, I mean, I apologize, but just let me spit it out. Let me just spit it out. Neither you nor I are Times Person of the Year. Okay. I mean, who who else? Who else? I mean, I can see if you win it, I kind of think, well, come on. But still, the it's it's justified. If I win it, clearly justice is you know at its pinnacle. But anyway, Zelensky, the leader of the Ukraine. And I'm just kidding there. The the leader of Ukraine uh, <laughs> uh, is the winner, and and I think you probably don't like that in a way that that I I don't mind it. I think he's 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 been a tremendous uh, spokesperson for him. He's been effective, smart. He's played the West well. Uh, That's and, one way of putting it. Yeah. Right. And and, you know, look, anytime tanks roll across borders, uh, the guy who's staying at the Capitol and fighting back, you know, I, I'm, I'm with him. Uh, but, you know, you, you could have certainly given it to Musk, uh, Elon Musk, who who is involved in Ukraine with the what is it? Starlight Starlink and the Internet making it capable for really for Ukraine to fight back. Uh, I mean, it, it's it's that was hugely important, as I understand it. I'm not I'm not a general or a uh, military uh, uh, expert, but but it seems to me that that was really critical for them to be able to communicate because otherwise they couldn't. And uh, you can imagine trying to trying to fight a war uh, defensively and communicate with people if uh, all of a sudden the internet was out everywhere. But uh, and and of course he's he's done other stuff with Twitter and and uh, and whether you love him or hate him, time has has been fairly consistent in giving it to bad guys if they think they had the biggest influence. But I'm an old softy, uh, which means that at this week, uh, this week uh, at at this is common sense. Of course, this is this week with common sense. Uh, but at thisiscommonsense.org, this week. We uh, we featured our person of the year, Jimmy Lai, uh, who is the uh, Apple Daily uh, publisher, editor, uh, someone who who uh, went to Hong Kong from China as a as a kid uh, and uh, basically found work and found his way to uh Many millions, argue, maybe a billionaire, um, and uh, he is going on trial here. I think it's next week that his uh, that the trial begins again. This is his second trial, and um, and of course he's guilty of things like telling the truth and having a newspaper that tells the truth. And I think what's so remarkable is that. Um, He's a pretty stoic fellow. Uh, I think he's in his 70s. Uh, he's got all that money, as, as we, we mentioned him last week, uh, actually, because of uh, whatever happened last week. But uh, but uh, uh, which spurred me to think of him as as the as the kind of person of the year. He he could have gone you know anywhere he wanted to in the world to live a wonderful life and uh is staying in hong kong and fighting 
And uh, I think I think what's happened in Hong Kong, almost, you know, the people who have fought uh, the Chai Nazis, uh, that's where the term comes from. Um, in my in in my vernacular, that's where I first heard it was when I was in Hong Kong. I saw the graffiti. I heard the you know people talking, you know, chanting different things, slogans, different different things. That was a uh, ubiquitous one, and uh, and so uh, you know, I just uh, you see these people. They're brilliant college students. They're billionaire moguls who. You know, they're going to do well in this world, even in a rotten totalitarian society. They're so doggone useful. They their own material comfort is not in question. And they fight evil and they stand up and fight evil. And then they get up the next day and stand up and fight evil. And and, you know, maybe they're crazy because I sometimes I have discussions with friends and they go, I mean, you know, maybe they're afraid that I'm going to march off in some crazy, you know, Don Coyote-esque uh, manner. But all I know is this, to me, what has happened in Hong Kong is like a clarion call to the whole world about what is up. And what's up is that a totalitarian regime that is currently, India is about to pass it, but currently the most populous country in the world, 1.4 billion people, that has nuclear weapons and has the largest navy in the world and a, and a, uh, a very powerful military. And uh, not necessarily the best Navy, but the largest Navy. And we can argue about what's best. Uh, I think the U.S. is a better Navy, but it's it's arguable. And that's a big change from 10 or 20 or 30 years ago. Anyway, it's a hell of a threat. And it doesn't mean, you know, the fact that, that uh, China is a genocidal totalitarian regime uh, that is Nazi-like, and I think presents all the same problems that the Nazis pose for everybody else uh, outside of just the Chinese people. But uh, uh, that, that, of course, doesn't mean that other governments are wonderful, that the U.S. is always perfect in what it does, that other countries are. Uh, but but I think these folks have have warned the whole world, and they put their bodies on the line to do it, because, you know, I think they believe in things from from, you know, their God to right is right and truth is truth. And and uh, boy, the world could use a lot more people like that. And I'll say this for Jimmy Lai. Uh, he didn't uh, ban the Russian Orthodox Church from uh, his, his city. I don't get that. One of the things Zelensky's done in Ukraine is he's banned the Russian Orthodox ah. Church. <sighs> See, this is not part of a, my big Zelensky push. You know, I mean, I'm somewhat dubious about the man. And you know, we you wrote about him when he first took power, when he first gained an election. You wrote a piece about him, and I remember being kind of enthusiastic about. It. But you know, he was a comedian who yes. made fun of politicians. He seemed to be an outsider. I don't see him so much as an outsider anymore. I had heard some things. Uh... You know, I, I'd heard some negative things on him too, and I, I, I think you know we we talk a lot about Taiwan and and uh, you know with Ukraine in the news, and 
you know, I was excited by the, you know, what I think it was the orange revolution in, in Ukraine and, uh, uh, you know, it, 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 they did throw out a bad guy, but the problem in Ukraine is that they've, it was probably a bad guy who got in after the bad guy they threw out. And if you put another person in, they may be a bad guy too. There's a level of corruption there. That's, that's tough to fight. Um, and it doesn't mean it can't be fought and overcome. Obviously it can, but it's not easy. And you also have to worry about in some of these regimes, you know, if Putin goes on a, uh, corruption, uh, policing effort in Russia, uh, Katie bar the door. That's what uh, Xi Jinping has done for years in China is to fight corruption, meaning to arrest people who don't agree with him. And and I'm not arguing that they aren't corrupt because I think just about everybody in the Communist Party in China is corrupt uh, and is in it for themselves, like people are everywhere, like the politicians who are so selflessly helping us in America, they're in it for them. And it doesn't mean they don't believe in things and they won't help causes and stuff, but it does mean you have to, you know, you have to kind of check your hand for how many fingers you got after you shake your hands with them. So uh, whatever the saying is, you know, um, but but uh, it's, you know, foreign policy is a mess. And uh, um, and when we all get together, all the countries of the world in the U.N., it doesn't seem to make it any better, uh, only worse and more convoluted. Uh, but I, I do think. It's become very easy, not that we don't still have media that soft sells what's going on in China, not that uh, Biden, who four times has said that we'll we will come to Taiwan's aid if they are militarily with troops and guns that fire uh, if China invades Taiwan, uh, also talks about them at other times like they're a competitor rival. Um their arrival in the way that you know that, that the bad guys rival the good guys um and and they're not a rival in the you know germany's arrival in a sense economically or japan is or but not not in the sense of china and that's just so much of and part of it is because china's bought off so much of the west and a lot of it before anyone woke up uh and and, you know, I and I think probably woke up by accident. I mean, it, it, I, I think it's Trump politically who woke up this country. And maybe if he hadn't, you know, uh, COVID was coming anyway, and that helped. But I really think it's before that, that 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 he hit on China. And from a libertarian perspective, so much of it was tariffs and this, and we're going to help the farmers to fight against China. And I think you could I think you could justify some of that from a war a, a defense type posture. I don't think it's as easy to justify it from an economic type uh, position. And I think I think a lot of his was kind of the xenophobic, they're taking our jobs, that sort of thing. Whatever it was, it was also a new position, which is we're not going to hold your hand while you kick us, you know, where. And, and you know, People I know who uh, who've listened to Xi Jinping speeches, who actually understand Mandarin Chinese, 
say it's incredible the sort of nasty, vicious, anti-U.S. things he says, they say, all the time. And and yet none of that is is reflected back. Well, what's that about? And I, as I mentioned last week, um, as one of these issues came up, uh, we do have a media that's taken millions and millions of dollars in ads from China Daily, the Communist Party newspaper. And of course, when you talk about private companies in China, yeah, not so much. It's just kind of a pretense. And uh, I mean, there is private wealth they get to have but they have to have Communist Party people involved. And of course, at any second that the government says, give us all your money, go here, stand there, shut your mouth, uh, go to jail, be executed, that, that's kind of what happens. And, and, uh, and you know, look, they're, they're more sophisticated than, than uh, you know, the Nazis were in Germany. They didn't, you know, Hitler didn't have the same kind of cameras everywhere. Uh, he didn't have the, you know, it wasn't the same kind of situation, but uh, he also didn't have the uh, the wealth and the, and, the, and the population compared. And that's very scary. But, you know, it's interesting. One of the things that that uh, I've pointed out to people is how much influence China has. And when I say China, I mean the Chinese Communist Party, the people who rule the country, not not their victims. Uh, and, you know, how much influence they have on Hollywood and on entertainment in the United States and uh, and on the NBA, which is entertainment, the National Basketball Association, um, which I no longer watch for this very reason. And and uh, they have a tremendous influence. And I and I, I came across an article this last week about the influence that Germany had in that the German there, there was some attention paid to the marketing of U.S. films in Germany prior to World War II, that that was a secondary revenue. Now, you know, it's not the 1.4 billion the China market is just pretty darn enticing. You know, if you're going to be paid a bribe, you always like a big fat one and not a tiny skinny one. And uh, boy, uh, but the same thing was going on then. And uh Anyway, it's it's uh, we are headed to, I think, some very tough and trying times and uh, hope and pray that's not the case. But I think it is. And uh, and, uh, you know, we hopefully will learn from history and hopefully we'll keep our eyes open and hopefully people like Jimmy Lai will continue to stand up and more people will stand up or help those who stand up or do something that will help spread, you know, freedom and dignity for the individual person. And, um, you know, that's that that same fight is happening every day in America, too. Well, that's mainly what you wrote about in your pieces for this week. Did you write about China at all? I don't believe I did. No, I that's, a, that's a rarity. Actually, we did. Uh, we did tomorrow. We uh, the piece on uh, an invisibility cloak we can use yeah the kind of it's kind of about that yeah right. yes yeah. well it is it's because i mean it's chinese students and and go to the website and invisibility cloak we can use um harry potter that's what we're talking about harry potter you thought that was just a movie and uh i i actually read the books i don't know if i ever finished the last uh 
the last book. I don't think I did actually, but was uh, that the Deadly Hollows? I think that's right. I think that's right. See, I've not uh, read any of them. Uh, I've the, really... the, the first two books, uh, the first few books, uh, were really, uh, especially the first two, were very had very libertarian themes, and and the truth is, the libertarian themes to some degree throughout. I don't, I don't mean to say that somehow those were abandoned, but they were really the the front and center, you know, re, and it was. It was very, um, you know, more left, touchy-feely libertarian values, um, you know, people trusting each other and meriting that trust and and uh, and believing in themselves, and you know, and and those, of course, aren't just libertarian values, but um, respect for each other in in a. Uh, in a freedom, you know, in that kind of way, which uh, I, I think it was really a great lessons for kids and uh, and good lessons for adults, although they're not as as adept at, at learning. You haven't quite gone beyond Harry Potter for your Friday piece. You might as well talk about your Friday piece since we're talking about it. I don't even remember the title. Uh, yeah. you, you must remember it. I'm hoping. I do. I do. I remember these things. No, it's uh, what what happened is students in China, developing a, a and, and I don't understand all the science of it. There's links at the website. So go to the website. This is commonsense.org, an invisibility cloak we can use. And um, but they've developed certain things on clothing that don't show to other people. It's not some great big net around you or something. Everyone's going, what's that guy? It's stuff that messes with at night, messes with the infrared cameras that they use to track people. And during the day creates a thing where they can't really tell it, like fuzzies up the the uh, camera somehow. It, it gives off some sort of something. Uh, <laughs> it's I'm probably more, uh, you know, I, I was reading the article and, and copying it down in my commentary. So it's probably better at the website. But but. Um, what a brilliant thing. What a brilliant device. And uh, and it's, it's you know, look, I, I like the technology of cameras. I'm glad that businesses uh, have cameras and can do things to stop people from wrecking them or people's homes. They can do stuff to where, you know, we see who's at the front door or who's on the side of the house or what have you. Um but we we are you know we're rapidly living in a society that I think it's easy to see some documentary on China and say oh boy they're terrible and and easy not to turn around and realize you know we're what thirty seven percent of the way there sixty two what is it I don't know but it's more percentage points than I want I guarantee you that so it's it's. Uh, you know, it's scary. And here's something that, of course, all the protests in China, uh, you know, would certainly would be helpful if they had those. And boy, I can think of a lot of other places in this world. I mean, it's, as, as we're seeing, it's it's, you know, Belarus, they had the election uh, where the public just knew you cheated. You cheated. We know. And and uh, went into the streets. And of course, you know, they shot a bunch of people and they arrested a bunch of people and they beat the hell out of them. And uh, and and so 
you know, we we can talk about the fine points of democracy and so on and and so on, but people all across the world increasingly want democracy and what they mean by that. And I'm not talking about, you know, that democracy dies in darkness, crap of the Washington Post or the I'm not talking about people in the United States who are talking democracy every two seconds. And what it means is when we win, that's democracy. And if we didn't win, it's not democracy. I'm talking about people all throughout the world who, you know, didn't go to school in America, but who know I want the ability to work without having to kiss every regulator in the city's butt. I want the ability to to say what I want to say without I don't want to post something on social media and then be arrested. You know, that's not. And and they so they they understand that you need to vote. You need to, the people need to have some power to elect their own leaders. But they they clearly the whole point is to get to a point where they're safe where they actually can live their lives in some measure of safety. And, and so the, the idea that this is, they, they want democracy. So like a bunch of idiots on some college campus someplace, and I'm not talking about the students, I'm talking about the faculty. Um, unlike them who want democracy so they can vote everybody all kinds of benefits, like that's how they, how wealth is created. They want democracy to give them some friggin' breathing room so they can live their life and earn a living for their family. And uh, it's not as if our deep state, the NSA or the CIA or some group of people, you know, there are 16 or 17 intel agencies, don't have the ability to track much of us now. And they have amazing technology. And these suits, from what I can tell, uh, very science fictional, by the way. Uh, they pre help prevent that. And I think that's good because we don't need to have the government tracking our ever move. It does sort of remind me of the uh, suits in uh, some science fiction novels of yes. the 1960s, uh, you know, holo suits and things like that. That's a big point in uh, the great novel, the S A Scanner Darkly by Philip K. Dick. But I suspect that our, there are elements within our deep state that right now do what our nuclear submarines used to do back in the 70s, which is follow follow a nuclear submarine from Russia, for instance, just follow it around and not and they don't know they're being followed because they can't because it's underwater and they were very primitive in the 70s. Right. Uh, the hunt for, for Red October was kind of a fantasy, I think, to some degree. Um, you know, that super nuclear sub, I don't think that was it. But they but our Navy did that is that they would they basically just tracked every every russian submarine there ever was right and they, and they could just find them anywhere they wanted to and that's and it was a good idea because it's because the russian subs were loud and yeah. ours were quiet and that's part of it and they also just weren't as uh well organized as our ours were uh it turns out and even despite the fact that they had high co2 counts in our in our submarines and Men smoked at them at that time. Um, I can't even, oh, I can't even imagine. That, I can't that, that, either. <laughs> I can't imagine being in a sub. I don't think I'm claustrophobic, but I think if I were in a sub, I would become claustrophobic. But you know, all, I, all I'm saying, really saying though, is I think that that the ability to track any citizen at any time is probably here, and they're not talking about it. 
Well, well, look at what, you know, when you think of this social credit system, and of course, in, in Xinjiang, you, you, you know, every 28 steps, they've got to go through some new, you know, uh, card reader and be frisked and so on. Um, those are, that's horrible. But when you think of what Edward Snowden, uh, you know, un unveiled, and and I've heard people say, oh, well, you knew they were doing it. Well, no, you didn't know. I mean, you suspected maybe, but uh, now we know. Right. And 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 they were grabbing everything, all of our bank records, all of our social media, all of our every phone call. And I think I think they've got audio of every phone call. Oh, they have, so, and and I don't think they've stopped. That's the other yeah, thing. Yeah, just yeah, to no, just to put that out there, well, I'm not, I don't program. have proof. I just don't think they stopped. No, it's more than one program. I mean, they caught one program. I mean, so, <laughs> and we should remind people just because since we brought it up, uh, the Democrat who pushed the bill that that was they had the excuse to do it, believed it not merely to be unconstitutional but also to be an illegal program. This was not a program that was, you know, legal, but not legal. You know, this was actually by the the Democrat uh, senator, I believe it was, who pushed the pro, uh, the bill that allegedly authorized the NSA program. Uh, he said it was an illegal program. And also and a federal judge, a federal judge said it was under the letter of the law. This it did not give them the authorization to do what they were doing which was violating and the truth is even if it had actually in its wording done that well that would be unconstitutional you can't just really know like, hey yeah go frisk and arrest anybody you want for any reason you feel like any day every day it was a metadata collecting system and when they have the metadata then they can easily lock into it and grab it, it grab more information i mean it's not it's just, it's not innocuous it's not like having a phone book it was not just an innocuous program but, you know, when it comes to cell phones and things like that, I think there's another kind of technology, probably much easier, that you and I could even invent if we spent 20 minutes at it. And that would be, and that may be something we want to do, is that we may want to start adorning ourselves with clothing that's anti-RFID, that's anti, that, that prevents microwaves from uh, getting us. Will it look better than the tinfoil hats? That, I, th uh... I, think, I think we could design it better. <laughs> uh, but the idea is is that they've had the ability, well, cell phones triangulate, and 5G especially triangulates. It knows exactly what the cell phone is. And they can then pinpoint other beams of 5G at that person. So the ability to use crowd control uh, and human behavior control with this um is I think we 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 should start we should start I think maybe arming ourselves with uh, some defense with the kinds of cloth we use, and I should apologize. I don't know if people can hear. I don't know if you can hear. I can't but, hear anything. But my dog is scratching himself behind me and he's driving <laughs> me bananas. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. At least he's not scratching. At least he's not scratching you. Uh, hey, uh, uh, <laughs> on that I lost my train of thought. But well, um, Monday's piece. Uh, we, we should mention uh, is is a more liberatory story about technology. Uh, that's uh, something to think about. I don't know if you're ready to go hit to it yet, but yeah, might might as well, might as well. Uh, it's uh, you know, Musk has been largely a, a breath of fresh air at at Twitter um, because in, in a sense now somebody's responsible 
that is a figure that people can kind of feel like. And of course, the the left hates it, and so you kind of like that right off the bat because it was so controlled. I think by the left in many ways that it's it's uh, and they control so much of the media. You know those guys, and uh, and and so it's you know I, I think it's I I like that Musk has has uh uh done this at the same time this uh uh piece which which pointed out that it's awfully refreshing pointed out that there was one little bit of it that i don't like and look i'm a i'm a small d democrat i like voting i think sometimes conservatives and libertarians you know it's a republic not a democracy and i get that and i agree if you know understanding those terms but i also understand the term democracy from the way most people i think use it which is that we get to vote and we have basic human rights that's democracy and i know that that's kind of a bastardization of the word democracy but once you know once 95 out of 100 people have that it's just the word democracy at that point, I think. I argue that even Athenian democracy had that element. And yeah. that uh, I just don't believe the uh, the libertarian critiques that you often hear of democracy. I don't really buy into them. Uh, no, I, I sure don't either. We uh, have very Republican, and, and sometimes they're just statues, kind of, and not real components of our democracy. But we have a lot of Republican features that are that are helpful. Two chambers of a legislature is kind of a Republican control of democracy. It just says, okay, well, you know, at least there'll be a couple seconds in between them doing it to where someone might go, what are you guys doing? And and uh, and and our whole tradition is that way, which helps a lot. Yeah. Uh, So I'm not sure where I was going with all that, but I didn't like that. Elon Musk put this up to a vote to let Twitter or to let uh, 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 Trump back on Twitter. It seems to me you let him on or you don't let him on, but you don't let the people on Twitter vote on it. And of course, you could have a site where that's what you do and everyone loves it and that's fun, but I wouldn't want to be part of that site. And of course, then he he basically said, what about all these other people? There's a big vote. I think it was 70 something percent in favor of letting them all back on. They all got back on. What I don't like about it is it suggests that now we're going to have the mob and, you know, maybe I shouldn't say the mob. Now we're going to have everybody decide whether you get to be on or not on by what you say. I want to hear what everybody says standing on their own two feet from their own heart with not any, you know, other than basic social, you know, there's certain things I don't want to hear. That used to be kind of, you know, and and you usually don't hear those things. You know, people don't talk about certain gross things in public generally. That's about the only thing. And and of course, you know, it seems to me that that all of these platforms could set rules that are sensible and that they intend to enforce and then enforce them and protect themselves in that way by saying, here are our rules, here's how we do it. But none of them do it that way. None of them have even even thrown a a pretense at at having a real rules-based system. 
Otherwise, throw it wide open and let anybody say anything they want to say and make it real easy to say, I never hear from this person again. So that the only real defense you have against folks who are jerks is that those jerks are pretty quickly not going to have anybody they can talk to because everybody tunes them out. Um, or you can have the system we have now in which it seems to me that Facebook and Twitter and some of these other and YouTube and so on almost take on that if, if anything on this platform doesn't meet your fancy, makes you anxious, <laughs> you know, whatever it does, you, you sue us left and right because it's our fault because we don't have any system to, to kind of fall back on and say, look, we set it up this way. If that person did something, go after that person. They've set it up to where they're the person to go after. And then, of course, what do they do? Well, they'll very quickly run and hug their friends in Congress who are always tough pointing the finger at, telling them what to do. But, you know, one of the ways you can tell that the who's close in Congress – Facebook and these different social media uh, platforms that that Congress is kind of, you know, always waving their finger. They're all doing real well. They're all making a lot of money. And I mean, congressmen and those operations, they're all doing well. And and it's like I I, I wrote something a while back and I said, you, you may think these people are stupid in Washington, but. But every every month their bank account's doing better, and uh, and ours maybe not so much. So I mean, who's stupid? It's it's you know they may be immoral, but they are stupid. We should mention the name of the piece. It's called "The Medium Is the Messenger." A nice, well, tip of the hat to Marshall McLuhan. Uh, so there you, Marshall McLuhan. We are at the yes. hat. Uh, and uh, and this was you know right on the heels of. The big revelations that uh, that uh, Matt Taibbi uh, got from Elon Musk from, straight from the mouth of Twitter. Uh, this was a big week for Twitter this last week because we had J uh, a man named Jim Baker, not the one everybody thinks about, I think, but another Jim Baker yes. who was part of the RussiaGate scandal uh, in the FBI, then hired by Twitter, uh, and he fed information to Musk, but got rid of some of it and was basically censoring it from Musk himself. And he was shown the exit this uh, last week as well. We did not discuss it in that detail uh, in Tuesday's piece, but we'll keep it was the piece. And this is really about Trump's response on the heels of this, where he made the, the statement about. For somebody who really can attract attention, he seems to say things the wrong way a lot. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. He he says things oftentimes the right way to create a big firestorm. And there are, and usually I look at what he said and I see, I mean, there've been times where I've seen live him say something. I remember one time uh, we, my wife and I saw it live and then we got in the car and we drove somewhere and we heard the reporting on it. And it was like, my wife turns to me and she says, we just saw that. What are they talking about? And, and uh, it's, it, there's a lot of twisting. And, and of course, I think he plays with that some. I think he knows 
how to get them going, the media. And so he controls the news cycle, so to speak. I think he made a mistake here uh, because the truth is, um, you know, he's always said he could kill somebody on, you know, at, at noon on Fifth Avenue on Fifth Avenue and it wouldn't change any votes. I would advise him not to try that. It will change votes. Um, and he didn't kill anybody, uh, any unknown nameless person uh, here. He said something about maybe killing the Constitution or parts of it or just ignoring them or whatever, however you want to say it. And that's not okay. And it's like he came back a few days later to say, you know, they're twisting this and blah, blah, blah. It's not funny. It's just not funny. It's not, you know, I mean, there, there are times where I think you can you can get their goat and it's a-okay. But um, Mr. Trump did not act the way a United States president that I can esteem acts after losing that election. He did not act the right way about what happened on January 6th, even though I'm with a lot of people that they have blown that all kinds of different ways out of proportion. I said at the time, and I still think it's, it would be the case, that from the evidence that was presented at the impeachment, if I were in the Senate, I would have voted to acquit. Uh, but that doesn't mean I like his behavior and it, and it just, uh, I really don't like it. I've never really liked him as a person. He's just not my type of guy. Um, but after all of that, this particular quote is, is way out of line and he should have corrected it quickly and said, what he ended up saying is, well, I wasn't talking about getting rid of the constitution. Well, <laughs> don't say what you said then uh, here. Here's what he said. So with the revelation of massive and widespread fraud and deception in working closely with big tech companies, the DNC and the Democratic Party, do you throw the presidential results of 2020 out and declare the rightful winner? Or do you have a new election? And the problem there is that Neither option is in the Constitution. Neither option is in the Constitution. And Trump argues this new information, meaning the information that says it's a you know incredible fraud and so on. And of course, if it is fraud, it's it's someone at the FBI should be arrested for it. And everyone should know that the media is corrupt. I'm not sure that there's a crime there. It's not like you can force the media to report something or you know, in other words, it's not like you can take Twitter to court, I think, for not doing this. I mean, you could in some different ways. But but um, anyway, for the for the most part, what he's talking about is they committed fraud by by snuffing out this story. And the FBI should have played no role in that. But but what he's suggesting is we ought to have a, a new election. No, or or maybe they should just install me as the rightful winner. And then he goes on to say, and, and here's how I said it. Trump argues that this new information, quote, allows for the termination of all rules, regulations and articles 
even those found in the Constitution, end quote. And of course, some people said he would cancel out the Constitution. Well, it's true. That was hyperbole. He didn't say we, he'd cancel out the whole Constitution. He just said, we'll cancel out the parts that don't make sense in this. This is like as, as big as COVID. So now we can do whatever. And you know what? <laughs> There's If aliens show up tomorrow, we still have free speech. If aliens show up tomorrow, we have a right to life and to due process. It's not as if he's completely out to lunch in terms of modern tradition, but he said the quiet part out loud, as that's the cliche of our time, is that, yeah, they do suspend the Constitution for a number yes. of all the time. But you don't say you're going to do it. And you don't say you're going to do it for your benefit and not necessarily for anyone else's. And what a misunderstanding about how all of this works. Like everything just, you know what? Sometimes somebody gets screwed. Um, and and of course, you haven't shown this. I mean, I, I know that there were all kinds of irregularities, but none of them caused me, who is no fan of, of Sleepy Joe Biden's, none of them caused me to think, oh, the, the proper course is to reverse the election. Now, if you could show... We have it on film on, you know, we have a thousand witnesses that they took this many votes in this state and this many votes in this state and they threw them away or they forged them or they did whatever. Well, then, yes, you could overturn it. And maybe even today you could go to court and see what they would say. I think if you couldn't prove it by the time the president was installed, I'm not sure you could do anything except if there was any involvement by the president, impeach him and remove him from office. That's the only recourse in the Constitution. Other than, well, you know, Trump on January 6th was trying to get uh, the Senate to uh, not confirm certain slates of, uh, right. of, uh, of electoral college votes. And had he better information, he might have had a case had he presented it in a rational way. It ought to be a hugely high bar. It's not like, well, you might have something here, so we'll cancel the whole election. You really have to have some evidence. But you're right. That's the that's what he would have to do. He appealed to the public instead. And that is what the Democrats, that is the, the sliver of truth the Democrats have, that he's an autocrat and a dictator. And this business about throwing out the Constitution doesn't make the Democrats' case look worse it makes it look better and that's so he's playing into the hands yes. of his yes. enemies and i don't really want to give his enemies more hand but he's done so and not anyone else it's he who did it it wasn't the january 6 protesters who did it so much as he right there he's he's the one yes. who gave yes that caused its biggest boost and let me tell you um i know some people who were there um, I don't know anybody who went into the, the Capitol, although I, you know, it's not like I called everybody and who went, did you go in the Capitol? But, um, but I have a ton of respect, sight unseen, for the people who showed up on that cold day to protest, to do whatever. It doesn't mean I agree with them, but I have a ton of respect for them. And in the same way that I have a ton of respect for people who showed up at 
so-called Black Lives Matter protests, because I suspected a couple of criminal justice reform marches and protests that I went to probably were referred to by people as Black Lives Matter protests. So there's there's all of that. But to but to equate the average Trump person with the people who look past the funny horns and and who I'm not a face painting guy. I just have to put that out there. But anyway, uh, look past all that. They were, you know, you're smashing windows in. You're, you know, these are not good people. And they're not the same as the people who were walking down the rope line. You know, you see these pictures after they breached the Capitol. And I'm watching them and it's these people quietly walking through this roped off section. So, you know, it's not, these are different people in the same way that the people who lit fires and even painted graffiti and smashed things and so on in in Kenosha or wherever, aren't the same people who held a sign that said, hey, we need to have a different criminal justice system. Making the right distinction is an important thing. And we should make the right distinctions at all times concerning protests and riots. And even it would be nice to know, for instance, uh, it looks like uh, some of the entrances to the Capitol building were opened up by the FBI or whoever yes. was in charge of Capitol. Yes, and, and that's and a I'm huge so, issue. That's a huge yes, issue. Yes, it sure is. It sure is. That, but that, I I'd sure like to know more about that. But I, it's not something I've followed greatly, so I'm not going to worry very much about it. And the guy in horns. I listened to some of what he said in the Capitol building, and frankly, I didn't consider him much of a threat to anyone. He didn't yeah. seem he didn't seem like he was coming to to be violent, but to be they, it was his uh, you know uh, what is it performance art or where whatever. But well, he was being a shaman for the <laughs> nation, uh, and you know I don't that's not, shamanism isn't my gig, but uh, having a weirdo shaman isn't the worst thing that's ever happened to the Capitol building, <laughs> no. not not one that has our Congress in it. So uh, <laughs> that's true. So there's that. I, anyway, so I I was at first not thrilled with your piece because I don't really uh, I don't know I don't know the Constitution you know but, but I think I probably agree with you. I guess I I guess I'm you, you in, in the course of the week since you wrote this or the several days I finally said yeah you're probably right. I I basically agree with you now. Boy, that was kind of weird. That is weird. Yeah, I don't always agree with you. Uh, race to fatherlessness, which I came on the next day. Which I just mentioned Kenosha. So yeah. uh, it's like uh, I just opened the door to uh, and and this is uh, this is funny. This documentary, I think, will be kind of out and being promoted in January. So uh, a friend of mine sent me uh, a copy of it. Uh, I think they were involved in getting it done. And and, uh, and it's a documentary by uh, Good Kids. Uh, I got. I have to go look at it because I can't Good remember. Kids Productions co-founder Rob Montz is the first person you could. Uh, and Josh uh, Oldham are uh, those are the two guys, the the co-founders of uh, Good Kids Productions. And uh, anyway, they they did this documentary about Kenosha, and and uh, uh, Kenosha was the was the uh, the one where uh, Jacob Blake. Um, Reached uh, for a knife and got shot by the police. Yes, well, he had a knife on him. He was he had an outstanding felony warrant. They had to bring him in, basically. Yeah, uh, they had no choice about that. And um, 
And so they, you know, and he had one of them in a headlock and this or that, and and they shot him a number of times. And we can argue about the police work, whether it was great or not. But you had people after the fact who were saying things like, uh, well, they shot him in front of his kids. Well, uh, one, I think it turns out those weren't his kids. Uh, it also turns out that they can't, you can't let someone who has a felony warrant drive off with a car full of kids. Even if they're their kids, you can't let that happen. And so there's all kinds of things that were never addressed here. And I saw that at the time. Um, and so they go through in this, in this video, in this documentary, um, and uh, I, I should get the name of that uh, documentary. The Broken uh, Boys of Kenosha, Jacob Blake, Kyle Rittenhouse, and The Lies We Still Live. Yes. They have this, you know, kind of first part that just looks at what happened to Jacob Blake and this situation and points out there's seven tenets of the whole race narrative. Uh, and they're all false. Uh, and I won't go through them all now. And, and you can go to the piece. And of course, there's a link to the actual uh, documentary. It's not long. I think it's uh, under 30 minutes. It's very good. Um, but it just points out that so many of the of, of what what they said wasn't true. First of all, the first news, and I remember hearing it, it was first reported, and this was about for 24 hours, but it was a big story. He went there to break up a fight. The reality was he was on his way and his estranged girlfriend who had accused him of being violent and of rape called the police and begged them to come protect her. So that wasn't exactly breaking up a fight. And, and you know, it, this is true with a lot of stories. And sometimes they don't bother to catch you up on what the reality was. You know, it's like the fog of war type stuff. Um, there are all these these kind of things. And so it, it it basically shows how this the whole race narrative was built on a house of lies, a foundation of lies. But then it turns and says, well, what what did cause this problem? What did cause this problem? Because it's not just Jacob Blake, who's not dead. He didn't die, but he's he's crippled. Uh this is the same situation where, you know, a lot of the city burned. There was all kinds of injuries and, and destruction that went on. Kyle Rittenhouse, who wants to be a good guy, comes up there and has his AR-15 and his medic thing and ends up getting in an altercation and shooting three people, two of them fatally. He is made out to be the evil, terrible guy. Then People actually watch the trial and listen to the evidence, and he is acquitted. And no one who watched it, and I did watch it because I just happened to be in someplace where I couldn't do anything but sit where I was, and and uh, I watched that that trial, and I was not surprised at all. I would have been shocked if anything else. He it was self defense. It's really stupid to attack people who have an AR-15. I'm just, I'm just saying, memo to self. Don't attack anyone who's walking around peacefully with an AR-15. Yeah, and if they have an AR-15, you have a skateboard for a weapon. Maybe that's a bad idea. Uh, well, he snuck up on him, but some, sometimes that's not enough. Um, but yeah, and we shouldn't laugh about these things, but, uh, but sometimes they're fun. I don't know. I, I, sometimes I, I, we have to. 
Yes. And, and those three goobers, um, I'm I'm not impressed with them. I should mention that my interest in this was largely racial uh, because er a lot of people I knew thought that Kyle Rittenhouse had shot some black guys. This was well known around the world. Uh, a Brazilian newspaper had it in their headline. Uh, that's 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 how strong this race narrative is. And wow. if one white guy shoots three white guys, and right. it's not just white guys, they're all of German descent. Every name is a German <laughs> name, and uh, and uh, and one of them might have been Jewish. And so, so it was all very interesting. Uh, to me, it was it was racially and culturally interesting. And uh, and I actually kept my um, opinions about it. I didn't have any judgments about Kyle Rittenhouse. You know, for months, people were talking about how awful he was or how great he was, you know, online. And I decided I'm going to let the jury decide this one. And then I'll look into the situation. <laughs> I think he was a naive kid. Uh, in watching that trial, I mean, that came across. But he said he was a genuine naive kid he was not it was hard to watch that that uh trial where he testified at length uh and not and not feel for him i did and see some of his testimony he, he was not glad that he shot those guys he yeah. was not happy about that yeah, and, yeah and i'm sure i was more happy about it than he was <laughs> it's easy as a spectator well, and, and we should tell just in case anybody doesn't know the story um, one of the reasons you would say something like that is these were profoundly bad guys that he killed. These were guys who were, well, I, some of them were, one of them was profoundly bad guys. One yes. of them had been convicted of raping a, a underage person uh, of other molestation, had kind of copped to other criminal acts, was really, really a messed up person. And, and, uh, and that's, it's the beauty of this documentary is that it ties up the race narrative in a in a very factual, straightforward way and then says, well, what was the problem? And you know what the problem was? It was fatherlessness. And it points out that Jacob Blake grew up without a father and was in trouble and had a huge rap sheet and was just constantly in trouble and was a messed up individual. And, and you know, look, you can have a father and a good father and be a messed up individual. You cannot have a father and be a very solid individual if you have other things in your life or if you're just, you know, somehow amazing in ways that the rest of us aren't, I guess. But but, but it's the odds not, are against you in those in those situations. Yes, yes. And in fact, in this uh, documentary, Bill Barr, the former attorney general, makes the point that the one massive correlation with a life of crime is not having a father who's in the home. And uh, and it's just it's. And, you know, I mean, it just it, it's one of those things that just it's not a little bit of a stat. It's just a huge stat. And it points out that Kyle Rittenhouse uh, uh, was, you know, didn't have a dad. And and I think if he did have his dad, his dad. Well, he didn't have a dad in the home. In the home. I, of course. He Everybody did, have, he did have his. Right. Well, he has a father that he was actually lived in Kenosha, I think. Right. His father lived very close by. 
Yes, I think that's true. But I but I think actually when he came up to Kenosha, he was not coming to his father. Oh no, no, he was going to the He was coming to his his uh, grandmother's or or somebody else's. Uh yeah. but uh but well Jacob Blake's dad is was around. He was in a different city. Um, you know, he wasn't around by the time Jacob Blake was born, he was already gone. Uh as I, I believe that's the case, or within a, a month or two of that. But when Jacob Blake is hurt, he's up in Kenosha holding a, a press conference and speaking about the, you know, and basically says, you know, my beloved son. And it's like, you know, he's come to be the civil rights hero, but he wasn't there for his son. He wasn't there for his son his whole life. And, you know, you, you hate to kind of say stuff like that because it's really damning. It really is. And, and look, as a parent, you always people you people can say whatever they want, but I guarantee you every parent in the world who's not psychotic feels guilty that they could have done it better, that they could have done more. We're all failures. We're all failures in a zillion different ways. We're not perfect. And with your kids, you realize at a certain point that no matter how many good things you told them, any bad thing you showed them is there and you better. I mean, it's a tough job. So you kind of hate to like go, well, you're a crummy parent. But our society, I think, maybe needs some people to stand up and say, if you left your kid before they said a word or took their first step and you never had any contact with them, you're a rotten parent. If you beat your kids, you're a rotten parent. You just are. And, and you know, you may have all kinds of problems. Let's get you some help. You're a rotten parent. And, and we need to put some esteem on being a decent parent. Being a parent. Because the truth is, you're a dad. Uh, you're a father biologically. But you're only a parent if you show up. And uh, and and we I point out that at the end of this piece that, you know, I think it is true that the government has had all kinds of policies that have exacerbated this problem. But it is not one that there's any governmental solution. We we and and frankly, while we should rip apart the welfare state for all the negative things that it inculcates in the in the society and and all the perversities it creates we don't have to do any of that to do something different about fatherhood to you know not nobody study it's like abortion you know uh people are gonna have, have different views on it but i've always kind of thought you know what they don't force you to have an abortion i mean <laughs> unless you were in china during the one child policy uh or today if you had too many um, but in the United States of America, even if abortion is legal, it doesn't mean you have to have one. And so you can you can make a statement against the, uh, you know, pro-choice policy by simply not having an abortion. And you can make a statement against all the all the regulations and all the anti-family policies that our government has by holding your family together and by and, and even if the family splits apart by both parents continuing to be parents. There's a real wrinkle to this 
thing, and this is this is, uh, and I'm not certain of this, but I've read it several places, so I think it's true. And there's a wrinkle to the statistic: if the father is not in the home because he's dead, because he died, because he's the child does not have the same problems as a person who has who's, who's because of divorce or non-marriage. That is, a child of a of a dead father does not appear to have an appreciable disadvantage compared to child a child of divorced fathers or non-married fathers. I've read that same thing. And this is one of the most interesting statistics I've ever come across because it suggests that there's an element of the moral order that children perceive that orients them in the world. And death is an exception, and to the you know it's it's not a simple causal thing that you know a good pa- you know parents in the home is. it's not just that there's something really almost metaphysical going on here. I don't understand it, but I it think is it's, look it's it's um, it's interesting. Divorce divorce is incredibly difficult, yeah, for people to deal with. Because it is a rejection. And and look, uh, uh, you know, I'm not a, a lunatic stalker, but um, but, you know, none of us like to be rejected. And, the you know, the, you see, you know, people have been married for any period of time and get divorced. That's that's a very difficult thing to go through. Um, even if you're the one kind of instigating it, there's there's certain things there. I, as I understand, I haven't been divorced. I've only been married. But. But but that's painful for a child to be rejected in that same way, and maybe in a more cavalier way. In other words, maybe not with a bunch of fighting and and stuff that, but with a just you're nothing. Um, I mean, that's how I think it's got to feel sometimes, and uh, and 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 you know that even. Even the rotten, thoughtless, narcissistic dad or mom, but sometimes it is the mom, more often it's the dad, but but sometimes it is the mom, whoever it is, you know that they care about this kid in their heart of hearts somewhere if they thought about it at the right time. But for the kid, it's just total rejection. And that, and it's and it's not someone who's 20. Or, or even 18, 20, 25, 35, 45. It's a little kid. Um, you know, it's just, uh, it's it's really, really devastating. And and it, it I think it shows up oftentimes in adolescence, but it's uh, you know, it it can be you, you don't see it when they're when they're six, and then all of a sudden you see it when they're 16. I think it goes on all all of our lives. Uh I also think it relates to religion. Uh, I, I think that this element of fatherlessness is um, it's very similar to the God problem and the religion problem and the fact that we're a very irrelig- irreligious society now. And religion has always been an important part of the moral mindset of a culture. That's just been part of the world. And now we live yes. in a secular culture where a third of the population or maybe half the population or more rests their sense of moral order 
in politics, which I consider the least stable and most dysfunctional part of our society. And, uh, and I suspect that the way that many people have rejected religion or, of the, or the religion of the past or the religion of the culture uh, has not been wholesome. Just like right. it's been a divorce. It's not been death of the father. You know, Nietzsche talked about the God yes. is dead. Well, God didn't die, as as the madman in the gay science of Nietzsche said. We killed him, and uh, this, so it's a different matter. And I think we should probably think about those two issues hand in hand. I haven't. I don't have any answers. I just think it's a really interesting uh, subject. It, it is. It is. And I, and I think you're right. It's it's uh, you know you have to have some. Uh, you know, some sense of moral order and, and um, you know, it, it helps to have a, a, a God uh, because it comes kind of with a pre pre-created, uh, you know, sense of moral order and, and, uh, and it can be replaced in different ways, but it, it has to be replaced with something. I, uh, uh, a uh, dear friend of mine uh, recently said that, that one of the things he liked best about, believing in God was there was someone to thank. And, uh, and I thought that was such a thoroughly kind of Christian attitude. Uh, but it's true too. It's, it's, uh, you know, if, if it teaches some things about being thankful, uh, it also used to be very individualistic and maybe it was just my parents, but I think it had a religious background to it. It was, don't worry about what, what somebody else has like envy was really something that that uh, you just didn't have envy. That's a you got some mental problems going on if you're worried about what someone else has got. And and I was one of six kids, and so I think it was probably to the parents real quick. We're not gonna have any complaining about someone got more than someone else because it'll take us about six weeks. To, to get into where's and I know in in families my own and and others when you've got fewer kids well you can spend the five minutes of arguing over who got the most mashed potatoes or whatever oh yes, yes. Uh, but growing up there there was no argue you better eat quick or someone's gonna snatch what you got on your plate uh but but that that sort of um non-entitled. Uh, and this is, I, you know, I came across this list of Stoic principles uh, a few years ago. And and Christianity and Stoicism uh, have a lot of similarities. Uh, and because they had the one of the one of the principles, or it wasn't really a principle, but it was be grateful for your blessings. And of course, some people I think don't ever recognize that they've got any blessings. And when you know, not to get caught up on the word. But I, I've always thought, you know, people say what they deserve or don't deserve. And I've always thought, I, boy, I would not want to settle for what I deserve. <laughs> you know, I'm always, I'm always hoping for better than, than what I deserve because, you know, uh, and, and I don't know. I, I think that attitude of it, it allows you and it's, it's not kind of the be pessimistic because uh, then you'll always be what, happy. That's not what stoicism it's really to is expect good things, but to but you know if they don't come today, they'll come tomorrow. And if you're feeling bad, well, you know what? Stop for a second and think of all that you've got. 
And and you know that's not it's not has nothing to do with politics, although it 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 you know everything gets connected one one way or another with politics. And and if you're not interested in politics, politics is interested in you. But um, but it is it is really good advice. And I I feel like and you know maybe I'm just getting to be an old fogey, but I feel like this world is just missing a lot of the that sort of common sense you know, attitude that, that everything's supposed to somehow some algorithm is going to tell you and provide for you. And, and you know what? Uh, oh, it, it's, you, you don't like that too much. Well, eat it anyway. <laughs> the classic uh, stoic explanation or actually demonstration of gratitude is the beginning of Marcus Aurelius's meditations because he's, basically spends the first many pages telling people what he learned from others. Who, what does he owe to his teachers, his parents, everybody he, he ever met? He goes through them all. And this was the emperor of Rome. And, uh, and he's also the emperor who insisted that when he was paraded through the streets of Rome, that he had and was, you know, lauded and everybody was shouting, you know, how great he was and so forth. He had one of his serv servants whisper in his uh, ear, you too will die. So yeah, <laughs> that, was a, that was just to remind him that these praises didn't mean to him what they might mean on as they sound, right? To yes. the people, they may have been great. They may have loved him, for instance. Uh, and he was the most important person in the Roman Empire and maybe one of the most important people who ever lived. Nevertheless. Don't get cocky. Don't get cocky, exactly. <laughs> Well, I don't know if there's an easy segue to rumble and fire, but I believe we've done all the other ones. This is today's piece. We're recording on Thursday night, uh, December 8th, 2022. And here's rumble and fire. And I don't know if it has any uh, stoic references. I don't think it does, Paul. No, they, well, they did have fire, uh, but, uh, but they didn't have rumble. Uh, someone sent me something today asking uh, uh, who gets, who reads common sense every day asking, What's Rumble? Are you on Rumble? And of course, we are on Rumble. And I went through the whole thing. It was great. It was like, oh, I'm so glad you asked. Um, but I was surprised he didn't know Rumble. But of course, you know, he, he's he doesn't he doesn't spend his day surfing on the internet. He's got a real job. Anyway, uh, in all the different crap that that goes on, and and we, you know, some people, I think, if you talk about something, Twitter. <clears throat> or Facebook or, you know, YouTube or whoever has done badly. They think you hate those institutions and would want them to be regulated in some way by the government. And of course, you, you do want them to be regulated in some way. How about clear laws that don't allow anybody to commit fraud or coercion and, you know, leave it at that. <clears throat> but, uh, but New York State, in its infinite wisdom, uh has is pushing this effort to um to basically police uh uh twitter and uh they they're going to you know they they basically will create a situation in which if you uh you know say anything on twitter they can have that post taken down if they don't like it uh by law now, 
I don't like Twitter blocking posts. I think that's a bad way to run their business. Um, I'm upset even for the government to be doing business with them when they behave that way and when the government doesn't have any reason necessarily to be doing business with them. I mean, what, what does the government need to be on any of these platforms um, and, and, uh, and, and colluding with these platforms? But, um, but if Twitter decides to do something dumb, I'm going to speak out about it because it's important. And if they're squelching speech, that's bad. It may not be criminal, it's their platform. I, I'm, you know, I'm not. I'm not going to come in, go in with guns blazing, and take it over. But I have a right to speak out about it. But this idea that uh, that the government can come in and tell these platforms and create. I mean, this is this is what what they would do in China. It's not just in China. It's in much of the world. They'll just come in and say, you can't say bad things about the king or the ruler or the president or whatever we're calling him to sound modern. But it's the same old song and dance. And to see it in New York is it's insane. So uh, these sorts of things, it's it's and, and of course, it's the very people who these social media operations like Facebook and Twitter seem to be kowtowing to who are regulating their platforms and telling them they're going to, in essence, kind of take over their platforms. And of course, it's a little bit of the yin-yang situation. The more we threaten we might take over your platform, the more maybe you'll decide, well, we better go a little bit, a little bit more their way because we don't want to be taken over by the government and we don't want to be regulated more. And of course, if People outside the government would like to speak more and pressure Twitter. Well, how do we pressure them? Not we don't quite have the same the same leverage. And so this is this, you know, we are in a in a situation in which uh, free speech is on trial like never before. And we say it all the time, but it's just it's every which way from from state governments to the federal government to these organizations being, you know, the, the fact that the guy who's involved in the FBI's uh, Russiagate crap is then the key guy over at, at Twitter, uh, you know, hiding stuff from Elon Musk is, this is not a pretty picture. So your piece was about uh, Rumble resisting uh, the demands of New York State. Is that basically the case? Well, basically, they had they had gotten together with uh, uh, Fire, Fire. Yeah. Foundation for uh, what is individual, it? In, well, it used to be Individual Rights and in Education, but I think they changed their name recently, right? Yes, they just did, and but it's uh, and you wrote about it, but I don't remember what they call themselves now. Yes, maybe we should put that uh, somewhere. Uh, it'll be emblazoned across the screen on Rumble, but it won't be emblazoned across the screen that's not there on SoundCloud. Yes, yes. Well, sorry about that. They'll have to go to Rumble, and of course, Rumble is uh, is done real well. It's a very good, a very good website. Most of my favorite YouTubers in politics are on Rumble now, so I'm yes, very, I'm very happy with it. And Rumble works really well. And there's not as many ads as YouTube. And I'm not going to spend any dimes getting Google to remove those ads. They'll sell you a little policy that re removes ads. 
I'm not giving any money to Google. So, yeah. Hey, uh, it's Foundation for Individual Rights and Expression. It used to be focused just on education, and then they realized the whole the whole world's going to hell in a handbasket. So <laughs> we better just expand to all expression because the uh, you know the uh, totalitarians in governments everywhere have done so. So you can find that at thisiscommonsense.org. If somebody were actually inclined to look and read this, you know, we give these synopses uh, somewhat hastily and then with other comments interspersed. Uh, the pieces themselves are coherent and concise. <laughs> you gotta believe us. You gotta believe us. Well, they can check for themselves <laughs> if they doubt my words, and I frankly would doubt my words too. I am, I'm, <laughs> look at this. I'm uh, on my second glass of whiskey for the night. So, I'm, are you 21? I'm 21. At least we're uh, we're headed into the holiday season. I'm sure the world will. All the uh, despots will. Uh, We'll kind of take a break over the holidays, no? I think that the uh, question mark at the end can be replaced with like an exclamation point. (laughs) 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 This has been This Week in Common Sense, starring Paul Jacob. My name is Timothy Verkulov. We cover the stories, five of them, plus Jimmy Lai, on this episode from Paul's Columns at thisiscommonsense.org. 